I love you, church. I appreciate you. I'm so, so incredibly thankful for you. We started a new series uh, last week, and we talked about something that's, that's kind of difficult to talk about and think about and sort of wrap our minds around, that the gospel, and specifically in this case, the story of, of Mary, teaches us that it's the poor, the weak, the helpless, the people that the world says are insignificant. It's those people that the gospel says, that Jesus says, are particularly blessed. Because there's something about poverty and weakness and being treated as and seen as insignificant that prepares a person for the Messiah's coming. And that was true in the first century, and it's also true today, in the 21st century, or whenever Jesus comes, that there is something about poverty and weakness and being treated as foolish and small that prepares a person for the good news. And so we can say with Jesus, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are hungry. And, and today we're going to add to that the idea of being sad and sorrowful. Jesus says this, of course, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Which, again, just kind of stop and think about what Jesus is saying. Blessed means happy, fortunate. Like, these are the people that have the life. The people who what? Who weep. Who weep now. The, the gospel, the gospel means Good news. What Jesus has done, who Jesus is, what Jesus has brought about is good news, but it's particularly good news for those who weep. It's good news for those who know sorrow and sadness and shame. For those who are having a good time in the world, for those who've built a joyful life in the world, they're probably not prepared for the good news. They weren't prepared in the first century. Those who were laughing and joking and having a great time, they weren't prepared for the good news of the Messiah's coming. And that's true today, too. But the people who were sorrowful, who were weeping, who knew sadness and shame, they were ready for some good news. And Jesus is that good news. And so we, we think about the people who were prepared in the first century and the people who weren't prepared in the first century for the first appearing of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, the first advent of Jesus. And we think today about those who are prepared today and asking ourselves, reflecting, am I prepared for the second coming of Jesus? So today I want to tell you a story about a very sad couple. A couple who were prepared for the, the coming of the Messiah because of their sadness and their sorrow. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Gospel account of Luke, Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, and listen to the way that Luke begins this story about Jesus. He says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. He begins this story about Jesus, the true king, by talking about another king, a king who was a, a puppet king of the, the Roman Empire. And 
Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in the shadow of Herod. They lived in the shadow of Herod. A corrupt, evil, wicked king who, again, was a puppet of the even more corrupt and wicked Roman Empire. And Zechariah was a priest. And you might think, oh, a priest, well, that's lovely. Not in the first century, it wasn't lovely. In the first century, the the priesthood was also corrupt. It had been corrupted by the the pagan world. It it had been corrupted by the Greco-Roman world. And so the priesthood was also corrupt. So Zechariah lived in the shadow of Herod and lived in the shadow of even the corruption of the priesthood. But Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. And his wife Elizabeth, her name means my God has promised. So just imagine, here is a couple who, whose name means Yahweh remembers and my God has promised. And, and these two live every single day in the shadow of evil and corruption for decades and decades For generations and generations, God's people, the the remnant of the faithful people had lived in the shadow of death and sin and corruption and shame and sorrow. And Zechariah and Elizabeth especially understood that sorrow. Verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. We just kind of listen to the story that Luke is telling us. That here's this couple and they live in the shadow of Herod and they live in the shadow of corruption and they know sorrow and they know sadness and they know shame. They know shame. Because Elizabeth is, is barren. And, and at that time it wasn't just that, that she had a, you know, a, a medical condition that was rather unfortunate. It was that everyone thought of her that God must be punishing her for something. And it was shameful. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And she got older, and she got older, and Zechariah got older and older, and now they're old. And they never did have any children. And she remained barren the entire time. And this is all they ever knew. But yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that everything seems to be falling apart around them, in spite of the fact that they live every day with shame and sorrow and sadness, they get up and they put one foot in front of the other and they live out their name. Yahweh remembers. My God has promised. And they keep living faithfully and keep doing what they're called to do. Zechariah continues to live as a priest. They continue to walk in the commandments of their God because they know, in spite of the way things look, Yahweh remembers. My God has promised. And they keep getting up and keep being faithful in the shadow of sadness and disappointment and shame. Verse 8, Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And they appeared to him. And there appeared to him 
an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, I, I don't know what's more miraculous what, what Zechariah is seeing. He's seeing an angel of the Lord in front of him or what the angel is promising him that his old barren wife is going to have a child and that he will call his name John. And John means Yahweh has been gracious. In other words, Yahweh has remembered. God has promised and he has remembered. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. See, their sorrow, their sadness, their shame will be turned to joy. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. See, John's birth wouldn't just bring joy to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but would, would be joy for all those who had been living in sorrow and sadness, who had been living in the shadow of death, that this is going to be joy not just for them personally, but for all of God's people. See, God, God cares how you feel. Do you know that? God cares how you feel. It may not always seem that way. When you're living in the shadow of sadness and sorrow and shame, it may not... It may not seem like God cares about how you feel, but He does. The good news is good news for you. That He wants to turn your sadness into joy. He wants you to rejoice. He wants you to know joy. He wants you to know an abundant joy. Verse 16, And He will turn, this is John, John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, he's going to fulfill what Malachi, go read Malachi chapter 4, he's going to fulfill what Malachi said was going to happen. That someone like Elijah was going to come and was going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Prepare them. Because people need to be prepared and is going to turn them to repentance to get them prepared for the coming of the Messiah. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And after everything the angel told him, he says, uh, maybe you got the wrong number here. I don't know. This, this doesn't seem right. How's this going to happen? I mean, this is kind of reassuring to me. How about you? Because Zechariah is a guy like me and like you. He has doubts, doesn't he? He has doubts. And I don't just mean right here in this moment. I'm sure that Zechariah had doubts a lot. His name means Yahweh remembers. His wife's name means my God has promised. But some days it didn't feel that way, I'm sure. Really? You're going to fulfill your promises We've been saying that as a people. We've been saying that for generation after generation after generation. We've been saying that year after year after year and we haven't seen you fulfill your promises. 
And maybe, maybe Zechariah thinks, yeah, maybe in the big picture, long term, but what role do I have in that? And so, of course, when the angel comes and says, no, 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 not only is God going to fulfill his promises, he's going to use you to bring about the fulfillment of these promises, Zechariah has his doubts. He has his doubts. But that, that tells me something about Zechariah, doesn't it? Doesn't it tell you something about him? That he got up and did his job. He went to the temple and he offered incense. He, he, he was faithful. He kept the commandments in spite, not only in spite of his sorrow, but in spite of his doubts. Verse 19, And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah asked for a sign. How, how am I to know that this is going to happen? And the angel gave him a sign. Don't think that was the sign he was looking for, do you? You're not going to be able to talk until this happens. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Listen to those words to take away my reproach among people. She had lived with this reproach, with this shame, with this sadness, with this sorrow, day after day, year after year, growing older and older and older. And now she's saying, now the sun is rising on my house. I've, I've lived my entire life in the shadows of sorrow and sadness and shame, and now the sun is rising on my house. And we're not going to read it again, but do you remember last week when we talked about what happened when Mary comes to her home and how she shouts with joy? I mean, she's an old woman. She's shouting with joy. She's lived her entire life in sorrow and sadness and shame, and now the sun is coming up. And the darkness is passing away. And now when Mary gets there and she realizes what's happening through her and through Mary, she shouts with joy. And even the baby, John, leaps for joy in her womb. You see, this is what it's all about. So what the gospel is all about is about sadness and sorrow and shame giving way to joy. And it's the people that know sorrow the people that have felt sorrow in the deepest part of their being, these are the people who are prepared for the joy of the Lord. The sun is dawning on Elizabeth's house. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Let's skip down a little ways. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. You see? It's all about rejoicing. This sorrow has been turned to joy. This weeping has been turned to laughter. 
And it reminds us of so many stories, doesn't it? If you're familiar with the story of Israel, it reminds us of stories like Sarah and Hannah and Naomi and Ruth. Yahweh remembers. My God has promised. And even, even in the, the moments and the days and the weeks and the months and the years where it doesn't feel like God is going to show up, He will. And people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they kept showing up. They kept being faithful. They had tears in their eyes. They even had doubts in their hearts some days. Really? Are you really going to show up? Are you really going to keep your promises? Do you really remember your people? I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep being who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to keep doing what I've been called to do. And I'm going to wait for you. And then God shows up. And He drives away the sadness. The sun begins to rise on their house. And not just on their house, but on the house of all of God's people. See, this is good news for everybody. This is good news for anyone who says, can I really trust Him? Can I really wait for Him? Is He really going to raise the dead? Is He really going to take away my sadness? Is He really going to bring the joy? This is good news for all of us who know that sadness. Verse 59, And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is after John, John had been born. They came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Isn't that amazing? Because his name would have been, had they just named him what they wanted to name him. His name would have been Zechariah, Yahweh remembers. But generation after generation after generation, they've been telling themselves, Yahweh remembers, Yahweh remembers, Yahweh remembers, God hasn't forgotten us, God hasn't forgotten us, God hasn't forgotten us, God hasn't forgotten us. And as far as they were concerned, they thought, well, maybe this is just, God hasn't forgotten us. But something new has happened. Something new has happened. Yahweh has been gracious. That's what John means. Yahweh has been gracious. He has remembered. He made a promise and he's keeping his promises and his promises are coming true through this one and through the one he will prepare the way for. The sun is beginning to dawn. You know that, that moment, don't you? If you? You've ever been camping and you've been out there and your back is hurting because it's, it's been a long night and it's just dark and it just stays dark. And then there's that moment where the, the sun begins to break over the horizon and you know, okay, the night is almost over. The dawn is coming. The sun is rising. That's what's happening right here. Not only Zechariah and Elizabeth, but all of God's people had been living in the darkness for so long. 
And now the sun was beginning to come up. Verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. See, again, this is good news that extends beyond Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is good news for everyone. God is doing something special in this child. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Hold on to that. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy, mercy, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. What does Zechariah mean by that? And is he right or is he wrong? I think sometimes we might read this and think, well, Zechariah is just mistaken. That's not what the Messiah is going to do. That's not what Jesus is going to do. Jesus isn't going to save us from our enemies. He's not going to save Israel from their enemies. He's just going to make it so that they're forgiven and they can go to heaven when they die and, you know... He's not going to save them from their enemies. That's what they expected, but that's not what Jesus is really going to do, is it? But Zechariah is speaking through the Holy Spirit. So if you say Zechariah is wrong, you're saying God is wrong. The Holy Spirit is wrong. Zechariah is right. This is exactly what Jesus has done. And we say, well, how? How did Jesus accomplish this? How did Jesus save Israel from the hand of their enemies? Did he? Does he? Does he save us from the hand of our enemies? Well, let me ask you this. What weapon did all of the enemies of God's people wield against them for so long? What is it that every enemy wields against you? What is it that Herod or Caesar or Satan had that they could use against God's people? The answer is, Death. Death is the weapon that they wielded against God's people over and over and over again. And it was that threat of death. It's always that threat of death, isn't it? That the enemies of God's people can say, I can kill you, so you have to do what I say. I could kill you, so you're my slave. I could kill you, so you have to respect me and you have to do what I say and I'm in charge of you. Well, now all of that is about to change. Here, let's put it this way. God delivers us from our enemies by disarming them. This is what Jesus did. By disarming our enemies, making the only weapon they wield, which is what? Death. Making that weapon completely useless against us. Isn't this what Jesus says? Don't, don't fear those who can kill your body. They have no power to destroy your body and soul in hell. If, if you surrender your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, that's when you really find it. 
I'm going to give you life so that now you don't have to fear death. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Messiah did for us. That's what Jesus has done for his people, is he's taken away the weapon that our enemies used against us. That weapon that they wielded against us, he's disarmed our enemies. So now what can they do? What do they, what do they have? They don't have anything except empty threats. That's all they've got. Empty threats. Continuing on. I know you thought I was dumb, but I'm not. Verse 76. And you, child, it's like, it's like he's holding up John, little baby John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. See, that's, that's how death has no hold on us. Forgiven people people who have been made pure and holy, people who are blameless in the sight of the Lord, have nothing to fear in death. When you're forgiven, the sting of death is taken away. And so by John coming and preparing the way, and by the Messiah coming and giving his life for his people, shedding his blood that they could be forgiven, now death has no hold on God's people. And when death has no hold on you, your enemies have been disarmed. Both the spiritual enemies, the, the, the enemies in the unseen places, and the enemies that have guns and knives and swords and tanks and chariots in every generation, God's people have nothing to fear from them because they've been disarmed. What can they do to you? You're forgiven people. What can they do to you? Death can't hold you. Death is just an empty threat now. It can interrupt you for a while, but it can no more hold you than it could hold Jesus. Verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Oh, I love that. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And here's what the sunrise will do to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you see that? Zechariah says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, the sunrise is coming. The sunrise is here. The sun is dawning. And it's driving away the shadow and the darkness. And it's going to give light to all those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. All they had ever known was the fear of death. And it guides our feet into the way of peace. See, but the difference, the difference between you and Zechariah, it's not that you don't know the shadow of death. You know the shadow of death, don't you? I know the shadow of death. You know the shadow of sadness and sorrow and shame. You know that shadow. But see, the light now has been dawning for 2,000 years. The sunrise was beginning to come up then and now is shining for us to walk in. Oh, you could still live in the darkness and live in fear of death and not walk in the light and know the path of peace. You could still continue to fear your enemies 
and live like they actually have a weapon to wield against you? Or, or you can say 2,000 years ago, when not just John was born, but when Jesus was born, he brought the light into the world. And now I'm going to walk in that light. In fact, that's how we prepare him room. How do we prepare him room? We prepare him room by walking in the light, don't we? That's how we prepare him room. That's how we decide right now, I'm ready for his second coming. I know the sadness and I know the sorrow and I know the shame. I know what it is to live in darkness and in death and in pain. I know what it is to weep, but I'm going to choose to walk in the light by faith. By faith, believing that the sun has already begun to dawn. Let me give you some suggestions what this looks like to walk in the light. Number one, be faithful regardless of your difficulties or disappointments or doubts. That's what Zechariah did even even before the light began to come up. Even before the, the, the sunrise began to dawn. He walked in faithfulness. That's what we can do. Right now, we can walk in faithfulness regardless of our difficulties and our disappointments and our doubts. Yahweh remembers. My God has promised. Yahweh has been gracious. And we can say, I will be faithful. Even on the days where it hurts, even on the days where I doubt, even on the days where I'm struggling, even on the days where I think, what do I have to offer? I'm old, I'm worn out, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen what I wanted to see, what I expected to see, I've been disappointed. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep being faithful. Number two, grieve with hope. Grieve with hope. That's what we do when we walk in the light is we grieve with hope knowing that death has no power over forgiven people. doesn't mean we don't grieve. We grieve. We grieve. I, I like to say that nobody should hate death as much or fear death as little as Christians. We hate it. It's an enemy. It is the weapon of our enemy. But it's also one that Jesus has shown he has complete power over and he will completely destroy death. And if you are forgiven, death has no power over you. So grieve, yes, amen and amen, grieve. But don't grieve like the world grieves. Grieve with hope. That's what it is to walk in the light. Number three, realize your enemies now wield nothing but empty threats. You have nothing to be afraid of in them. I know we think we do. It seems like we do. But evil has not won, is not winning, and will not win. So do not be afraid of them. And when you recognize that, when you realize that, then you're free. Then you're free. When you recognize that your enemies have nothing but empty threats, then you're free. And then you can love them. Love them. You can't love them until you realize that their threats are empty. You can't turn the other cheek until you realize they wield no weapon against you. You can't go with them the extra mile. When they force you to go a mile, you can't go with them too until you decide they're not not over me. They wield no weapon against me. And then you can, finally, number four, follow Jesus 
in the way of peace. That's what the sunrise does, doesn't it? It teaches us to walk with him in the way of peace. This is how we prepare him room. Jesus is coming again. And I know there are days where it feels as dark as it did in the first century. And I know that as you look at the, at the national scale, at the global scale, or even just at your personal life, there's days where you think, Yahweh remembers? My God keeps His promises? I know there are days where it doesn't feel like that. I know there are days where it doesn't feel like God cares how you feel. But story after story after story, the story, the good news is here so that you know on the good days and the bad, through the highs and the lows, through all of the disappointments and all of the doubts and all of the struggles that your God remembers and has promised and is gracious and has kept his promises, is keeping his promises and will keep his promises. Jesus has already come once and he will come again. And we will see his second coming. In fact, every eye will see his second coming. Every knee will bow. The, the question is, will you be prepared for his second coming? And the way you prepare him room is you walk in the light. Walk in the light. And if we can help you to step into the light by being baptized into Jesus, or come back to the light, or we can just pray with you because you're going through one of those seasons of disappointment and struggle and doubt and fear and pain, then let us pray with you and pray for you. You can't get through this journey by yourself. God gave you brothers and sisters to love you, to care for you and pray for you. Our shepherds would love to do that in the prayer room or right now. With all of us, you can come forward. Let's together we stand. Sing this song.